0: Eight hundred billion dollars. Brother Michael.
1: Right. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't hold your breath on that. That's not going to happen. <laughs> that's, that's more than two and a half times the annual budget of California. The annual budget is three hundred billion dollars uh I, so i appreciate the economists doing their calculations but at the end of the day and i'm all for i'm all for repairing the damage of uh slavery racism jim crow segregation redlining housing discrimination educational discrimination discrimination when it comes to getting bank loans and home loans and all of that at the end of the day it doesn't matter how much you think that you're old the only thing that matters is how much you can collect or what you can collect and what you can actually keep once you get once it goes to court and you get sued and people try to block you from getting what you say that you're owed, okay? So when we look at this, so two developments happened. Num- number one, there was the article from ABC Channel 7, abc7.com, which they right. picked up on the Associated Press called Reparations for Black Californians Could Top $800 Billion. And this was what economists uh came up with. And as you stated, it didn't include theft of land and different things like this, right? Secondly, the, the article that came out today from the Associated Press, uh March 30th, 2023, Californians, California reparations amount, if any, left to politicians, because the California Reparations Task Force is leaving it up to the politicians in the state assembly in, in California to really put a price tag on it and determine uh, uh what should be paid out.
0: Uh all right, folks. Welcome back to the culture here on the Black Star Network. I'm your host for Raji Muhammad. Um let's talk about reparations. Another development came up over the past couple of days, and uh, in re- as it relates to reparations for the state of California. Of course, California has been on the forefront creating a reparations task force, which is deemed with having the conversations and really creating a, a model on how the state of California, one of the largest states in the country, could possibly issue reparations. Now, there have been much talk about this, and I want to bring my brother Michael and Hotep back into the conversation um, as we look at this situation of reparations in the state of California. But here's the now the, the, the big development is, Brother Michael, is the cost, a budget busting cost for the state of California. Uh take a look at this, folks. It could cost California more than $800 billion to compensate Black residents for generations of over-policing, disproportionate incarceration, and housing discrimination. Economists have told a state panel considering reparations. The preliminary estimate is more than 2.5 times more than California's $300 billion annual budget and does not include a recommended $1 million per older Black resident for health disparities that have shortened their average lifespan. Nor does the figure count for compensating people for property unjustly taken by the government or devaluing black businesses. Um, And it says that uh, for devaluing black businesses, two other harms the tax force says the state perpetuated. Wow, $800 billion, Brother Michael. Right. Yeah,
1: don't, don't hold your breath on that. That's not going to happen. That's that's more than two and a half times the annual budget of California. The annual budget is three hundred billion dollars. Uh, so I appreciate the economists doing their calculations. But at the end of the day, and I'm all for I'm all for repairing the damage of uh, slavery, racism, Jim Crow segregation, redlining, housing discrimination, educational discrimination, discrimination when it comes to getting bank loans and home loans and all of that. At the end of the day. It doesn't matter how much you think that you're old. The only thing that matters is how much you can collect or what you can collect and what you can actually keep once you get, once it goes to court and you get sued and people try to block you from getting what you say that you're old. Okay. So. When we look at this, so two developments happened. Number, number one, there was the article from ABC Channel 7, abc7.com, which they right. picked up from the Associated Press called Reparations for Black Californians Could Top $800 Billion. And this was what economists uh came up with. And as you stated, it didn't include theft of land and different things like this, right? Secondly, the, the article that came out today from the Associated Press, uh, March 30th, 2023, Californians, California reparations amount, if any, left to politicians because the California reparations task force is leaving it up to the politicians in the state assembly in, in California to really put a price tag on it and determine all. Uh, uh, what should be paid out? Uh, they, they referred to, uh, uh, Camila Moore, attorney Camila Moore, the leader of California's first in the nation reparations task force on Wednesday, March 29th said it won't take a stance on how much the state could compensate black residents, whom economists estimate may be owed more than $800 billion for decades of over policing this, uh, disproportionate incarceration and housing discrimination. So it's a good, I think it's good. That they don't put a price tag on it now, the California Reparations Task Force, because whatever price tag you put on it, and the greater the price tag, the more it's going to be attacked. Because in in the article from ABC Channel 7, they also talk about the argument against reparations as well. So you have to defend yourself. and and strengthen your argument to defend against those arguments against reparations. One of them is is that, well, you know, there was somebody they quoted and say, well, my family came here, they were white, of course. They said, my family came here uh, uh, after slavery ended and didn't have anything to do with slavery, things like this. Now, it's important to understand, I encourage everybody who's watching this, I encourage you to read at least the executive order, uh, of the executive summary, I should say, the 28-page executive summary from the California Reparations Task Force 500-page report. Because if you read that executive summary, it gives you a greater understanding of U.S. history and what happened to us, as well as history of California, and it, and it outlines 12 harms. It outlines 12 harms, political disenfranchisement, racial terror, housing discrimination, separate and unequal education, racism in envir- and environment and infrastructure. Pathologizing the black family, control over creative, cultural, and intellectual life, stolen and hindered opportunity, unjust legal system, mental and physical harm and neglect, and the wealth gap as well. Okay, so the, the best strategy in California and nationally for at the federal level to get something tangible that we can keep, because with 13.5% of the population nationwide, California African-Americans are five and a half percent to six percent of the population. Shift the focus away from talking about slavery, because California really does not have a history of slavery. They've identified about fifteen hundred African-Americans that were in a semi-slavery status of 1850 and afterward when California came into the union as a free state. Shift the focus to present day structural inequities deal with the laws and policies that were put in place to bring about those structural inequities. And then you can trace that back into history and show how it's related to slavery. But, right. but, 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 but the, the main, the, one of the most important things we have to understand is take the title reparations off of it. The reason why is when you talk about reparations and you you, t- you put that title on what it is that you want, you automatically bring up a whole lot of resistance to it. From the larger community before you even get to talk about what it is that you want. Okay? So take so it. Market
0: it differently. So
1: totally, you gotta market it totally different. When you okay. are the minority population in the city, state, country, and the majority of the people that gotta vote for what you want are white. Okay, you've got to market it differently if you actually want to accomplish something and be able to keep what you want. OK, right, so let me let me focus on the policies that you want and push the policies that you want. One right. two. show how those policies will not just help you, but how how repairing that damage will also help the larger community, the country, et cetera. You have to market
0: this differently. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned was, you know, uh, the, the, the approach that the reparations task force is taking, which is allowing the state government to determine what the price should be.
1: Because the state government has to vote on this. The state has to vote on it. Yes.
0: So my my, my my thinking is, and my question to you, brother Michael, is, is that an effective strategy considering the fact that, you know, you might you have an economist that's throwing it out there, 800 billion. That ain't going right? to happen. Yeah, I, I don't think that's going to happen either. I mean, the, the state is not going to give up more, 2.5 times more of its budget for a single group of people. For five and a well, half percent of the population, of six percent? Hell no! Just like in California, that's not. Just like in San Francisco,
1: okay? The right.
0: the, the, the the uh uh. what but should we billions, be determining? What, I guess my, my my question would be: Should the task force determine what the cost should be? Um, because if you put it in the hands of politicians, couldn't we shortchange? Shouldn't wouldn't that put us, put us in a position to shortchange ourselves? What if they I, say, what I would, okay, I, I, I want to give you on, $200 million. Or, okay, let's say we'll give you $100 million.
1: I, I would focus on the policies that you need to repair the damage. Okay. If you read the 28-page executive summary, have you read the executive summary? Not yet. Read it. If you read you. the 28 pages executive summary, those different harms that I talked about, they go through and explain those harms, how they took place in California and gotcha. how they harmed African-Americans. It was... It was laws and policies that inflicted the harm upon us and continue to do it. It's going to be laws and policies that that correct the harm. Cash payments can be part of, and once again, we have to have comprehensive reparations. Cash payments can be part of a comprehensive repairing of the damage or dealing with the structural inequities. But when you start coming out with this with these with these amounts that are greater, two and a half times greater than your annual budget or seven times greater than your annual budget, like like in San Francisco, that, that's not going to happen. And what happens is, is that the opposition attacks those huge numbers
0: without giving any other details. Right. They just attack those I, huge I numbers. That. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, let me go to the culture crew um, and, and get their take on this. Um, because this is, this is, and again, like you said, like this could, by by an economist putting this type of information out there, it does more harm than good to, to the larger effort. Right. And they probably,
1: they they probably, the economists probably meant well with it. Right. Right. But but see, it's just like San Francisco, right? The $5 million per eligible African-American. If 20,000 out of 50,000 African-Americans qualify for that, you're talking about $100 billion. That's seven times greater, that's, that's seven times the annual budget of San Francisco, which has a $14 billion annual budget and they're facing a $728 million budget deficit over the next two years. That That's that's not, that's fantasy. That's fantasy. Now, at, at the meeting where that was proposed in San Francisco, there were 111 policy recommendations made. They don't even get a second look because people are focused on fantasy island. And that's how you tank the whole reparations movement by just putting these numbers out here. Even though people mean well, focus on the policies that you need, push the policies to repair the damage as opposed to these huge dollar amounts that are astronomical. Even, even though you could say, Hey, we are all this, but at the end of the day, it's not, it doesn't matter. What we think we're old, or what we can even prove, what matters is what you can actually collect and keep after that's you get
0: right. Absolutely, I'm gonna I'm stop the conversation right there because I think that's the that's the salient point. Is it's about what you can collect. Like you gotta come you to the table. What you can collect and keep, and collect and keep, and yes. you gotta come to the table with something reasonable. Otherwise, yes. they might throw the whole thing out the window.
1: Exactly, exactly, and 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 and. Uh, if you look at the executive order that President Joe Biden did uh Sorry. on student loan forgiveness, yeah. absolutely is definitely yeah. needed. What he did is reasonable, but it's being tied up in court because you have Republicans suing. Hopefully, the six three conservative Supreme Court will rule in his favor, which is our favor as well, because it greatly benefits African Americans. But it's based upon what you can actually keep. That's what we have to understand
0: yeah absolutely brother michael it's always a pleasure to talk to you brother real quick talk to us about the work you're doing
1: the african history i teach online history classes on saturdays and sundays saturday 2 p.m eastern standard time next class april 1st ancient kemet the moors and the maafa understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school and you can uh register for the full course full courses on sale uh only 80 dollars. You can register per class if you want to, which is only $10. And then on Sundays, 2 p.m. to uh, 4 p.m., uh, I teach black resistance movements from the Haitian Revolution, U.S. Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, the Black Power Movement, 1800 to 1968. Okay, we go through and look at history chronologically to understand what happened to us after slavery ended, what led, led up to the Civil War taking place? What were the laws and policies to put us in the predicament we are in today to understand where we need to go from here? Mm-hmm. Your understanding of politics is directly related to your understanding of history. Visit our website the theafricanhistorynetwork.com. dot com the dot com. You can watch the classes live or on demand. And the content is PG-13, so you can use this with your children and your family as well. TheAfricanHistoryNetwork.com.
0: There it is, Brother Michael Wynhotep. You can find him weekly here on The Culture, as well as Roland Martin Unfiltered. We always appreciate our brother checking in. Thank you, Brother Michael. All right, Michael. thanks, Roger. All right, peace. Yes, thanks. sir. Peace.
1: This is our website, TheAfricanHistoryNetwork.com, TheAfricanHistoryNetwork.com. So we deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. Okay, so I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles codes, video clips. Classes on sale, eighty dollars, regularly hundred and thirty dollars. Um we do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. The next classes are Saturday, April 1st, uh, Saturday, April 8th, Saturday, April 15th, and Saturday, April 22nd. Do the classes normally 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can register for one class session for ten dollars also. Now, even after the courses are over with, after 12 weeks are over with, you still have full access. You can go back and watch the classes anytime, so it does not expire. All right. So this is Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, Understand the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach in the school. And uh, today's class, we'll talk about, we'll continue our discussion dealing with Egypt on the Potomac and how the layout of Washington, D.C. is a copy of the layout of Ancient Kemet, Ancient Egypt. We'll also talk about Hannibal Barca and the Punic Wars and fighting against Rome. And we'll talk about the Battle of Kanaa, 216 B.C. On Sundays, I teach uh, black resistance movements from the Haitian Revolution, U.S. Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, the Black Power Movement, 1800 to 1968. Uh, So we're doing that uh, Sunday, April 2nd, uh, Sunday, April 9th, April 16th, April 23rd. Okay, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So register for that class as well. And we have, a bundle pack of online courses. You can register for both classes for only $120. That's a $300 value. You also get five of my lectures uh, free that will be in the video library. And you can watch those, because those lectures you can watch at our online school. All right, so visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com to register for the classes. I just posted the link here on the thread of the broadcast. And you can join us. Uh, for today's class also once you register. All right. How's everybody doing today? OTEP, hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecturer, writer, and historian. So it is Saturday, April 1st, 2023 and we are live so i'm teaching a uh online history course uh today very shortly but i wanted to come on and talk about this topic that we discussed on faraji muhammad show the culture um on thursday uh that was thursday uh march 30th 2023 and i wanted to do a broadcast after the show but I did not get a chance to deal with this. So we talked about how the California Reparations Task Force, how some economists working on the California Reparations Task Force have estimated that um, reparations for African Americans in California that qualify, reparations could total $800 billion. Okay, this is two and a half times um over two and a half times the annual budget of California, which is $300 billion a year. So I, I wanna look at a couple articles that we talked about, specifically the one from the Associated Press on Thursday, March 30th, that breaks this down. So we can get a better understanding of this and stop dealing with a lot of fantasy also, okay? We're also gonna briefly look at uh, the executive summary of the 28 page, uh, the executive summary of the 500 page um, uh, study that the Reparations Task Force uh, released June 1st, 2022. And I encourage everybody to go read that study, at least read the 28-page executive summary, because if you do, then you understand a lot of this stuff floating around about reparations is just totally false. And it comes from a lack of understanding of history and law. So if we look at this article from uh, March 29th, uh, this was Thursday. Let me see. This was uh this article from the Associated Press. Uh California reparations amount, if if any, left to politicians. This is from uh, Wednesday, March 29th, 2023. And in the article, it says that the leader of California's first in the nation reparations task force uh on Wednesday, uh March 29th on Wednesday said, hold on, let me back up here just a second. I can't increase the size of it. Okay. On Wednesday um, said that it won't take a stance on how the state should compensate black uh, black residents who economists estimate may be owed more than $800 billion for decades of over-policing, disproportionate incarceration, and housing discrimination. Uh, The $800 billion is more than two and a half times California's uh, $300 billion annual budget. And it does not include a recommended $1 million per older black resident, for health disparities that have shortened their average lifespan, okay? That have shortened their average lifespan nor does the figure count compensating people for property unjustly taken by the California state government or devaluating or devaluing black businesses, which are two other harms, the California reparations task force says the state perpetuated. Okay. So the $800 billion is a, uh, is a combination of looking at, some various harms. We'll, we'll look at that. Okay. Now the $800 billion, even though it, it may be justified, that's not going to happen. That's totally unrealistic. That's more than 2.5 times California's annual budget of $300 billion a year. That, that That's not going to happen. Okay. So don't wait for anything like that uh, to take place. It's also important to understand that California does not have a history of slavery, uh, like other states have. California comes into the union in 1850 as a free state. Okay. And if we look here at the executive summary, uh, this is the executive summary from the, um, let's look at this here. This is the executive summary uh, so, 28 pages executive summary. Everybody should read, and this is from the interim report, okay, uh, 2022, and I'll give you the link for it also. Uh, it talks about in here how uh, California comes into the uh, union in 1850 as a free state. Now, they identified about 1,500 um, African Americans who were in a, a, a semi-slavery state. Okay. But California does not have that type of history of slavery. Okay. Like Alabama or Georgia or Texas or Mississippi, nothing like that. California does have a rampant history of, uh, voter suppression, housing segregation, redlining, theft of land, segregation when it comes to schools, uh, uh, discrimination when it comes to getting bank loans, all different types of things like this. And the the report lays out 12 harms as well. And you need laws and policies to correct those harms. Um, Okay, so we'll come back to this. This was uh, page, what page is that of the executive summary? Page seven of the uh, executive summary. And the executive summary alone is an excellent, excellent history lesson. Okay, now. If we look at this article here, if we go back to this. So, Thomas Kramer, who was a public policy professor at the University of Connecticut, told the um, California Reparations Task Force panel on Wednesday, March 29th, he said all forms of discrimination should be considered in reparations. Uh, the task force should feel free to go beyond our loss. Estimates to go beyond our lost estimates and determine what the right amount would be. Okay, now, uh, black residents may not receive cash payments anytime soon. There's, there's no may there. this they're, they're not going to receive cash payments anytime soon, if ever, because the state legislature and Governor Gavin Newsom will ultimately decide whether any reparations are to be paid. The task force faces a July 1st, 2023 deadline to recommend the forms of compensation to be awarded and who should receive it, along with other remedies um, to repair the harm, along with other remedies to repair the harm. Now, the chair of the California Reparations Task Force is attorney Camila Moore. She said on Wednesday that it's up to the state legislature to ascribe a restitution amount based on the methodology uh, economists uh, recommended, based on the uh, methodology economists recommended and and which the task force approved on Wednesday. Now the task, she said, the task force is pretty much done regarding the compensation component. Our task was to create a methodology for calculation for various forms of compensation that correspond with our findings. She said this in an email. Uh, Now for those who support reparations, the staggering $800 billion estimate underscores the long lasting harm that African Americans have endured, even in a state that never officially endorsed slavery, even in a state that never officially Endorse slavery. Also, right around 1849, when Peter Burnett was governor of California, and he was the first governor of California. He came from Oregon because he was the governor of Oregon also. Um, they tried to ban all free uh, African Americans in the state of California. Now, that didn't work, but they attempted to do that also. Now, several people who gave public comment Wednesday spoke of the urgent need to pay black Americans for all that was taken from them. Um, Charlton Curry of Sacramento, California, who discusses reparations on his Big C, uh, Big C Sports podcast, says, said, my family came from the South because they were running for their lives. They were fearful of being lynched just for voting. Uh, he said, cash payments are necessary. Money talks. Uh, He said, noting that white people benefited from free U.S. government land through the 1862 Homestead Act and uh, Japanese-Americans incarcerated during World War II and Jewish Holocaust victims received payments. We talked about Japanese-Americans. That was approximately 82,250 of them that got a one-time payment of $20,000 that did not go to descendants of Japanese-Americans that only went to those who were still alive, who had been put into the internment camps uh, between basically 1941 and 1945, uh, or who had to flee or something like that. So it only went to a fraction of the Japanese Americans in this country. Jewish Holocaust victims are receiving reparations or what they're receiving is a pension, but that's coming from the German government. That's not coming from the US government. The Homestead Act of 1862 uh gave away land it, it was 160 acres of land uh but you had to main you had to maintain that land for 5 years and make, and, and you had to do uh, pay the taxes on that land and you had to make the uh structural improvements on that land after 5 years you can keep the land so it wasn't it wasn't totally free land if we look at the homestead act and we teach about this in this my sunday class where we deal with um, black resistance movements from the Haitian Revolution, U.S. Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, and Black Power Movement, 1800 to uh, 1968. And you can uh, register for my online classes at our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. On Saturdays, I teach uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Maafa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach you in school. So uh, we have another session of that class that I'm teaching today, uh, as soon as I finish with this broadcast. So we'll start about 2.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, so we'll, we'll give you information about that also. But this is on the Homestead Act. It's, 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 a very, it's very important for us to deal with facts and evidence and know what it is that we're talking about, because there's so much misinformation floating out there and people don't document what what they're talking about so this comes from history.com the official website of the history channel homestead act the 1862 homestead act accelerated settlement of us western territory by allowing any american including freed slaves to put in a claim for up to 160 uh up to 160 free acres of federal land okay now the most Former slaves are going to be shut out of this, even though you're going to have a few that get it. But most of us were shut out of this. Now, the Homestead Act signed by President Abraham Lincoln granted Americans 160-acre plots of public land for the for the price of uh, a small filing fee. For the price of a small filing fee. The Civil War Era Act, considered one of the one of the United States' most important pieces of legislation, led to westward expansion and allowed citizens of all walks of life, including the formerly enslaved women and immigrants, to become landowners. Okay, that's that's in theory. Uh, what was the Homestead Act? In July, uh, in a July Fourth, eighteen sixty one speech, President Abraham Lincoln told the nation. The purpose of, American, uh, of America's government was to evaluate the condition of men to lift artificial burdens from all shoulders and to give everyone an unfettered start and a fair chance in the race of life, end quote. Now, he followed through with the passage of the Homestead Act, which remained active for 124 years until it was repealed in 1976 and resulted in 10% of US land or 270 million acres to be claimed and settled. So they gave away land for over 100 years with the Homestead Act. The incentive to move, okay, let me scroll down. I'll go past this. Um, But to achieve this, thousands of Native Americans were forced from their lands and onto Indian reservations to make way for homesteaders. Okay now um, requirements for the Homestead Act to make a claim homesteaders paid a filing fee of $18, a $10 fee to make a temporary claim on the land, $2 for commission to the land agent and an additional $6 final payment to receive an official patent on the land. Land titles could also be purchased from the government for $1.25 per acre following six months of proven residency, following six months of proven residency. Additional requirements included five years of continuous residence on the land, building a home on the land, farming the land and making improvements, farming the land and making and improvements. So this was, these were requirements to be able to take advantage of the homestead act and keep the land. It wasn't just free land given this, this people say that when you go read the details, you see that wasn't just free land given now, homesteaders who had to be the head of a household or 21 years of age had to certify that they had never borne arms against the United States. So that means they were not part of the Confederacy that took up arms against the union also needed two neighbors of France to attest to the government that they had fulfilled the requirements. Union soldiers could shave off time served in the U.S. Civil War from the five-year residency requirement, okay? Uh, so read the rest of this here, but it's important when people say, oh, they just gave away free land. No, that's not exactly what happened there. There were requirements and you had to uh, build a house on that land. You had to Uh, pay the registration fee, you had to make improvements on that land also, you had to farm on that land. Now it it was a huge deal. It was a good deal. And we largely got discriminated from being able to take advantage of that land after we were the ones who grew the crops, tilled the land, things like this for 246 years. But I wanna make it clear that wasn't just Freeland land given way as oftentimes it is described. Okay, now, if we go back to this article here from uh, the Associated Press. Uh, let's see here. Uh, let me grab the article again. Okay, here we go. All right. Okay, let's continue here. How's everybody doing? Also, uh, you can register for the online history classes that I teach on Saturdays and Sundays uh saturdays is ancient kemet the moors and the maafa Understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school so we're going to start this class um as soon as i get uh finished here with this broadcast I'm waiting on people to, to log in and um i wanted to do this broadcast here right after i did for show on thursday but um i didn't get a chance to i was too tired and couldn't do a Friday. I had to do a Roland Martin show on Friday. Uh, visit our website, African History Network.com, the African History Network.com. So we deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. Okay, so I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips, classes on sale, $80 regularly, $130. Um, we do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. The next classes are Saturday, April 1st, uh, Saturday, April 8th, Saturday, April 15th, and Saturday, April 22nd. Do the classes normally 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can register for one class session for $10 also. Now, even after the courses are over with, after 12 weeks is over with, you still have full access. You can go back and watch the classes anytime, so it does not expire. All right, so this is ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa understand the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach in the school. And uh, today's class, we'll talk about, we'll continue our discussion dealing with Egypt on the Potomac and how the layout of Washington, D.C. is a copy of the layout of ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt. We'll also talk about Hannibal Barca and the Punic Wars and fighting against Rome. And we'll talk about the Battle of Cannae 216 BC. On Sundays, I te- teach uh, black resistance movements from the Haitian Revolution. US Civil War civil rights movement the black power movement 1800 to 1968 Uh, so we're doing that uh, Sunday April 2nd uh, Sunday April 9th April 16th April 23rd okay 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time so register for that class as well and we have a bundle pack of online courses you can register for both classes for only $120 that's a $300 value. You also get five of my lectures uh, free that will be in the video library and you can watch those because those lectures you can watch at our online school. Alright, so visit our website theafricanhistorynetwork.com to register for the classes. I just posted the link here on the thread of the broadcast. and You can join us uh, for today's class also once you register. Okay, let me go back to this article here. And unfortunately, most of the stuff floating around about reparations is just blatantly false. Not just California, but just in general. And too many of our people don't understand history. This is why it's important to read the uh, the study from the California Reparations Task Force. Because if you actually read that study, especially if you only read like the 28-page executive summary you realize how much of this history you don't understand. Okay, Uh, because they go through, lay it out and they lay out 12 harms as well that are the result of laws and policies. And these are harms that you have to pass laws and policies to correct. Okay, now, um, critics, Critics pin their opposition to reparations to California partly on the fact that California was never a slave state and say current taxpayers could not be responsible for damage linked to events that germinated hundreds of years ago. Okay. Bob Woodson, a prominent black conservative, calls reparations impractical, controversial, and counterproductive. Okay, impractical, controversial, and counterproductive. He said no amount of money could ever make uh, make right the evil of slavery, and it is insulting to suggest that it could. He said this in an email to the Associated Press, adding that black communities relied on faith and family uh, to build thriving communities following slavery some of these communities only began coming apart after we lost sight of these values, which, which also hold the key to these communities, restoration. Okay. He see, he does not talk about the fact that 41 mile 41,000 miles of us interstate highways ran through the African American community, wiping out thousands of businesses, thousands of homes. See, this is the type of misinformation a lot of these black conservatives put out. And then they want to talk about faith and family. They they don't talk about the war on drugs that their Republican president, Richard Nixon, declared uh, June 17th, 1971. And how the U.S. prison population quadruples from 1970 to 1993. It goes from about 300,000 in 1970 to 1.3 million in 1993. This is before the, the 94 crime bill that everybody loves to talk about but really don't even understand. That wasn't signed on September 13th, 1994. U, the US prison population quadrupled before that, before that was even signed. That goes back to Richard Nixon who declared his war on drugs June 17, 1974. But if you read this article here dealing with um, bulldozed and, and bisected, bulldozed and bisected this is uh a an analysis from n b c news, and it goes through and shows the harm that the expressway system did in the uh, african American community, okay this article here so these are things that that a lot of these black conservatives don't talk about bulldozed and bisected so what is this here bulldozed and bisected highway construction built a legacy of inequality highway construction built a legacy of inequality will their removal heal historic wounds and in the article it talks about um what has changed decades after the Federal Highway Act of 1956 so you had the U.S. interstate highway acts in 1952 and 1956 it brought 41,000 miles of interstate highways to the to the United States is and it's the recognition of the harm that was done to communities left in the shade of these now aging roadways From 1957 the to nineteen seventy-seven, the Federal Aid Highway Act displaced over forty-seven over four hundred seventy-five thousand households and one million people, according to the U.S. Department of Transportation. Now, as many of these hulking structures reach obsolescence. The federal government and many states and cities are belatedly recognizing the harm they caused and are working with communities to design alternatives that repair the damage. But in many cases, those plans are reopening old wounds and leading to protracted debates that politicians and engineers are struggling to solve. One of more than 50 interstate highways across the country nearing the end of their lifespan Oh, sorry, of more than 50 interstate highways across the country nearing the end of their lifespan. NBC News examined three urban neighborhoods that show the range of proposals underway to redress the harms caused by the construction of interstates. Okay, so you can read the rest of this. And uh, in the uh, one of the things that uh, the San Francisco Reparations Task Force was talking about was the Fillmore District in San Francisco, California. And how the expressways ran through the Fillmore district, wiped out 883 businesses, displaced about 20,000 people, most of them African-Americans. Okay, this is the this is the legacy of that history and those federal programs. All right. Now we go back to the Associated Press article from uh, Wednesday, March 29th. or Thursday, March 30th, Wednesday, March 29th. Yeah, okay. So it says financial redress is just one part of the package being considered. Financial redress is just one part of the package being considered. Other proposals include paying incarcerated uh, inmates market value for their labor, establishing free uh, wellness centers, and planting more trees in black communities banning cash bail and adopting a through k-12 uh black studies curriculum all right so is as i said before is not going to just be one uh policy implemented is going to be a a multitude of policies implemented we have to have a have to have comprehensive reparations. It's not just going to be one thing. We have to have comprehensive reparations. More trees in the African-American community relates to environmental issues. And it deals with um, trees give off oxygen. They also provide shade. Okay. Um, This deals with how Suburban communities are more likely to have more trees. They have cleaner air, generally speaking. When you have more shade, it lowers the uh, temperatures. Like even on hot days, it lowers the temperatures in the neighborhood, which reduces your energy costs overall, generally speaking. So you don't have to use as much energy to keep your homes cool, et cetera. In African-American communities, inner cities, you have more concrete with less trees. And the concrete like absorbs heat. And it causes an increase in the temperatures in those areas. So there is a, uh, let me pull this up here. There's a, um, there's some articles I've seen on this. A second here. Let me take a look at this. Okay, so for instance, if we look at this article from NPR, National Public Radio from January 14th, 2020. This is why it's important. You have to understand history to understand the laws and policies put in place that inflicted the harm to know what has to be repaired, to understand the damage that has to be repaired. All right, so for instance, let's look at this. Uh, Racist housing practices from the 1930s linked to hotter neighborhoods today. Racist housing practices from the 1930s linked to hotter neighborhoods today, January 14, 2020. NPR.org National Public Radio by Meg Anderson. In cities around the country, if you want to understand the history of a neighborhood, you might want to do the same thing you do to measure human health, check its temperature. That's what a group of researchers did, and they found that neighborhoods with higher temperatures were often the same ones subjected to discriminatory race-based housing practices nearly a century ago what we're dealing with when we talk about repairing this damage of a legacy of slavery decades of jim crow segregation redlining housing discrimination um expressways uh voter suppression school segregation etc we are dealing what we see today with the structural inequities we are dealing with the cumulative effect of decades of policies we're dealing with the cumulative effect today of decades of policies. So it was laws and policies that put us in this predicament is going to be laws and policies that get us out of it. All right. So a a group of, uh, a group of researchers found that neighborhoods with higher temperatures were often the same ones subjected to discriminatory race-based housing practices practices nearly a century ago in a study Uh in a study of 108 urban neighborhoods urban areas nationwide in a study of 108 urban areas nationwide the formerly redlined neighborhoods of nearly every city of nearly every city studied were hotter than the non-redlined neighborhoods some by nearly 13 degrees some by nearly 13 degrees in formerly redlined areas, Americans live with hotter temperatures. Okay, now in the 1930s, the federal government rated uh, neighborhoods in urban areas to help mortgage lenders assess risk. Low ratings were determined largely by race and ethnicity. New research in 108 cities shows that today those redlined neighborhoods are hotter than other neighborhoods in the same city with with the most drastic difference found in Portland, Oregon. What's interesting about Portland, Oregon, and we talked about this in one of my classes last weekend, is that the the state of Oregon banned all free African-Americans. Oregon has a deep, deep racist history, which is why Oregon has a very small African-American population. Oregon at one point banned all free uh African Americans, okay? Then you also have the um uh 1844 uh black exclusion laws in uh Florida uh, in uh, not Florida uh in Oregon as well. just let me pull this up. Okay. So if we look at this article from Equal Justice Initiative, EJI.org. June 26, 1844, Oregon Territory bans free black people. June 26, 1844, Oregon Territory bans free black people. On June 26, 1844, the legislative committee of the territory then known as Oregon Country passed the first of a series of black exclusion laws. Black exclusion laws. The law dictated that free African Americans were prohibited from moving into Oregon Country. Okay. And, and those who violated the ban could be whipped, quote, not less than 20. no more than thirty nine stripes in quote now it, so this becomes known as the 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 peter Burnett uh the Peter Burnett lash law it's not really enforced, okay, and then it's going to be repealed all right now uh between eighteen forty and eighteen sixty in the midst of this exclusion and discrimination, African Americans never constituted more than one percent of the population in the American Pacific Northwest. Oregon, which joined the union, joined the United States as a free state on February 14, 1859, stands as a clear illustration that racial discrimination and oppression against black people was also widespread in jurisdictions where slavery was illegal. Where slavery was illegal? As of 2018, the U.S. Census Bureau estimate estimated that less than three percent of Oregon residents were African American. Well, see, that's a legacy of going back to what happened in 1844 and after 1844. Okay, now the the preamble to a later exclusion law passed in 1849 um, explained uh, legislators' beliefs that quote, it would be highly dangerous to allow free Negroes and mulattoes to reside in the territory, the Oregon territory, or to intermix with Indians, instilling feelings of hostility toward the white race. Okay, now the Oregon constitution of 1857 included racial exclusion provisions against African Americans and Asian Americans Because if you actually understand the history of this country, Asian-Americans faced racism as well. Wasn't nearly as much as as us, but they they faced it also. The first anti-drug laws in this country go back to 1875 in San Francisco, targeting Chinese men working on the railroads, the railroad tracks. And this dealt with opium. Okay. and and, and, um, uh, there was a fear that uh, these Chinese men, if they were high on opium, they would seduce white women. Okay, so when you go study this history, you study like the uh, Chinese exclusion laws of of, uh, 1882 and, you know, different things like this. Asian-Americans faced uh, discrimination in this country also. Now, not as much as African-Americans, but yes, there's a documented history of that. All right. So read the rest of this article here. Oregon Territory bans free black people. June 26th uh eighteen forty four then if we look at there there was um another one here from the washington post uh there was one let's see this one here from the washington post it's called When Portland Banned Blacks, Oregon's Shameful History as an All-White State. This is why it's important to understand history because laws and policies in history are intersected and interrelated. Politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, pawn resources, and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, their adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. Okay. Uh, so... Your understanding of politics is directly related to your understanding of history. Laws and policies shape conditions and shape historical events and movements come about to address the conditions that were created by policies. June 7th, 2017, when Portland banned blacks, Oregon's shameful history as an all white state by the L. Brown for The Washington Post. In Oregon, like I said, this is why Oregon has a very historically, a very, very low percentage of African-Americans living, living in the state of Oregon, less than three percent There's a good reason for that. In 1844, all black people were ordered to get out of Oregon country, the expansive territory under American rule that stretched from the Pacific coast to the Rocky Mountains. Those who refused could be severely whipped the provisional government law declared by, quote, not less than 20 or more than 39 stripes to be repeated every six months until they left. To be repeated every six months until they left. Now, Oregon country's provisional government, which was led by Peter Burnett, a former slaveholder who came west from Missouri by wagon train, passed the law in 1844, 15 years before Oregon became a state. The law allowed slaveholders to keep their slaves for a maximum of three years. After the grace period, all black people, uh, those considered free or enslaved were required to leave Oregon country. Black women were given three years to get out. Black men were required to leave in two. Now, once again, Peter Burnett, he's gonna go on to become the first governor of California, okay, in about 1849. And he's governor when California comes into the union, as a free state in 1850. This is why you got to understand history. If you're going to talk about jump out here talk about reparations, you need to understand the history of these laws and policies that were put in place that that created the harm that you're asking for the repairing of the damage of. Now, the law became known as the Peter Burnett Lash law, L A S H. Peter Burnett who also opposed Chinese migration to Oregon country would later become the first American governor of California. Now the Lash Law, Peter Burnett Lash Law was quickly amended and then repealed. No black people were ever lashed under the law. Read the rest of this article here. But this gives you some insight into the results of laws and policies and how they have a lasting impact when it comes to racism and discrimination in current day structural inequities. This is why we have to deal with repairing the damage of the cumulative effect of these policies. Just talking about slavery, 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 that means you don't even understand what happened. Okay, now if we go back to this piece here from the uh, Associated Press. Okay, oh, we were looking uh, I'm sorry, we were looking at the article from National Public Radio. This is dealing with the result of decades of redlining and why uh, temperature, why in urban areas, because, because of racist housing practices from the 1930s, why it's linked to hotter neighborhoods today, higher temperatures in our neighborhoods today and less trees also, okay? In a study of 108 urban areas nationwide, the formerly line neighborhoods of nearly every city studied were hotter than the non-redline neighborhoods, some by nearly uh, 13 degrees. And it said, with the most drastic difference found in Portland, Oregon. And Oregon has a very racist history towards African-Americans based upon their laws. OK, when they tra- and like going back to 1844, when they banned all free African-Americans in Portland, Oregon. Now, redlining refers to the federal government's practice in the 1930s of rating na- rating neighborhoods to help mortgage lenders determine which areas of a city were considered risky. The, the Federal Homeowners Loan Corporation, which was created right around 1933, the Homeowners Loan Corporation, the HOLC, made maps and shaded neighborhoods red. They made maps and shaded neighborhoods red that it deemed hazardous. That risk level was largely based on the number of African-Americans and immigrants living in those neighborhoods. The practice alone with the other segregationist housing policies of the time had lasting effects from concentrating poverty, from concentrating poverty to stifling home ownership rates. And we know home ownership is is directly tied to generational wealth and being able to pass on assets to your your children and future generations, to your family members. Now you can still feel those effects, literally. Nearly 90 years after those maps were created, Redline neighborhoods are hotter than the highest rated neighborhoods by an average of almost five degrees, nearly 90 years after those redlining maps were created. Redline neighborhoods are hotter than the highest rated neighborhoods by an average of almost five degrees, according to the research from Portland State University, the Science Museum of Virginia, and Virginia Commonwealth University. Okay, now, um, Vivek Chandas, a professor of urban studies and planning at Portland State University, who co-authored the study, said, "It's like stepping into a parking lot from a park. You would feel the re- you would feel that relatively quickly." It was very surprising when we saw that it was a pattern that we were seeing consistently across the country. It was a, it was very surprising when we saw that it was a pattern that we were seeing consistently across the country. End quote. Now, the link between higher heat and red line neighborhoods, many of which are still struggling economically from decades of disinvestment, echoes the findings of a joint investigation last September by National Public Radio and the University of Maryland's Howard Center for Investigative Journalism. In an analysis of uh, heat and income in 97 of the most populous U.S. cities, in an analysis of heat and income in 97 of the most populous U.S. cities, we found low income areas in the vast majority of those cities were more likely to be hotter than, wealth, than their wealthier counterparts. Those poor areas were also disproportionately communities of color. The extra heat can be dangerous and sometimes deadly and health consequences. The extra heat can have dangerous and sometimes deadly health consequences. Extreme heat kills more Americans every year than any other weather-related disaster. And heat waves are growing in, in, in intensity and frequency as climate change progresses. Now, so this deals with the relationship between the harms of climate change, which is then related to policies that um um dealt with um environmental regulations okay this deals with the harm of uh environmental racism and how this negatively impacts the african-american community and heat waves are growing in intensity and frequency as climate change progresses in baltimore maryland national public radio npr and the Howard Center found dramatic increases in the rates of emergency calls during dangerous heat waves, and low income patients in the city's hot spots visited the hospital more often than low income patients in cooler areas. Okay, read the rest of this here. See, this is understanding. The the impact of laws and uh, laws and policies. Then you have this article here, right? Because I've this is the type of research I do. Okay, all different areas. I'm to about 35 different news sources on a daily basis. We look at this article here. Trees are key to fighting urban heat, but cities keep losing them. Okay, now this article from NPR: A Forgotten the History of How the U.S. Government Segregated America. We've dealt with that article here on the African History Network Show numerous times. But this article here, September 4th, 2019. So when people read about some of the recommendations from the California Reparations Task Force and they talk about what the trees have to do with black people, all this type of supple Simon bullshit coming from people that don't read a damn thing. You got to do some research before you jump out here and start talking about something you ain't never studied before, okay? There's a direct correlation between that. And that deals with decades of racist harmful policies towards us so the structural inequities that we deal with today are the are the accumulation of all those policies inflicting harm upon us all right now these uh, trees are key to fighting urban heat But cities keep losing them, keep losing trees. September 4th, 2019, National Public Radio. Who, let me ask you, everybody watch right now. Who is sharing this type of information with you besides me? I'm just curious. Name them, where are they? Who's sharing this type of information with you besides me? This is why it's important to support the African History Network and the African History Network show. And register for our online classes. Support us through PayPal Cash App. This helps finance the research. All this don't happen without resources. Okay. You can, if you like this type of Reformation, if you're learning anything here today, um, you can support us. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Also register for the online history classes that teach on Saturdays and Sundays. And I'm teaching the class today. Um, we're going to start as soon as I finish this broadcast. We're going to wrap up here in a couple minutes. But I had to. Um, I wanted to follow up on my appearance on Faraji Muhammad's show on Thursday, March 29th because um, we only dealt with, uh, we had a short show, uh, a short segment, okay? And um, I wasn't able to get into the deep into the information like I wanted to. So on Saturdays, I teach ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, understand the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach them in schools. And this class is Saturday, April 1st. Uh, April 8th, April 15th, and April 22nd, uh 2023. Okay, we'll have classes after that also, but these are just some of the next few classes taking place. Normally we do the classes 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, today, we're starting late, so we're gonna finish. We're gonna start as soon as I finish this broadcast here, but I wanna make sure we uh got to this broadcast also, okay? And then on Sundays I teach Um, black resistance movements from the Haitian Revolution, U.S. Civil War, civil rights movement, the black power movement. We go through history chronologically from 1800 to 1968, understand what leads up to the transatlantic, what leads up to the civil war taking place. Uh, We study the reconstruction era, Jim Crow era, what were the laws and policies uh, put in place after slavery ended that put us in the predicament we're in today that created these structural inequities that we're trying to repair the damage of, okay? So this is our website, Network.com. The class is on sale, $80, regularly $120. Also, you can register, let's see, for today's class. uh, If you just want to register for the one class session, it's $10, so click right here to register for the one class session. But you'll want to register for the entire course, okay? Uh, And this information is PG-13 also, so you can use this with your children. Uh, as well. I don't do a lot of cursing. It's not overly graphic or anything like that. Okay, let me get back to this because I I, I need to finish this up here. Okay, give us a thumbs up, give us a heart, give us a like, and um, you can uh, also support us financially through uh, PayPal and Cash App. We're celebrating the 13th year anniversary of me broadcasting the African History Network show as well. So I first broadcasted uh, March 10th uh, 2013, uh, I'm sorry, March 10th, 2010, March 10th, 2010. So we're celebrating the 13th year anniversary. Let me broadcasting the African History network show as well. Uh, if we go back to this piece quickly here from national public radio, okay, this deals with, uh, trees are key to fighting urban heat, but cities keep losing them. And let's see, uh, let's skip down the tree cover. Trees can play a huge role in the health of people living in cities, but across the country, cities are losing millions of trees year after year, and many poor urban neighborhoods, often homes, often home to a city's most vulnerable, are starting at a disadvantage. Uh, Jad Daly, president and CEO of the nonprofit organization American Forests, said, if we show you a map of tree canopy in virtually uh, any city in America, we're also showing you a map of income. And in many cases, we're showing you a map of race and ethnicity, end quote. Now, the lack of tree cover can make a neighborhood hotter. And a joint investigation by NPR uh, and the University of Maryland's Howard Center for Investigative Journalism found just that. Low income areas in dozens of major US cities are more likely to be hotter than wealthier counterparts, and those areas are disproportionately communities of color. Okay. Um, if you, uh, so, uh, Daly went on to say if you live in an area in cities that is seeing more extreme heat days but you don't have tree cover to cool down your neighborhood, that can literally be a life or death issue. That can literally be a life or death issue. Quote, the folks who are least likely to have air conditioning to weather heat days, to make it through heat, uh, heat waves, to weather heat waves, the folks who are most likely to have preexisting health conditions that put them at a greater risk from those heat waves are not getting the benefits of trees." End quote. Now, a study by the Georgia Institute of Technology found Louisville to be getting hotter faster than any of the other 50 largest US metropolitan areas comparing, compared with the rural areas around them. One reason cities tend to be hotter is because of fewer trees. Louisville is losing 54,000 trees each year from development, natural disaster, disease, invasive species, and lack of tree care. Okay, Louisville, Kentucky is losing 54,000 trees each year from uh, development, natural disaster, disease, invasive species, and lack of tree care. And Louisville is not alone. From 2009 to 2014, 44 states lost tree cover in urban areas. That's around 28.5 million trees lost every year according to the US Forest Service. Okay, read the rest of this article here, okay? So this deals with environmental racism and environmental changes also. All right, let's continue. Uh, So if you go back to this one here, okay financial redress is is back to associated press uh article california reparations amount if any left to politicians okay uh financial redress is just one part of the package being considered other proposals other proposals uh include paying incarcerated Inmates market value for their labor, establishing free wellness centers, and planting more trees in black communities, banning cash bail, and adopting a through K-12 black studies curriculum, which is extremely important because our people, most of our people don't understand history. Most Americans don't understand history, but especially uh, most African Americans, unfortunately, don't understand history. Now, reparations talks are stalled at the federal level. But the idea flourished in California as well as US cities and counties following the death of George Floyd um, at the hands of Minneapolis police. Governor Gavin Newsom signed the legislation in 2020 creating the reparations task force. Okay, now the Let me see here. Um, where is this? Oh, did they cut out something in this article? Hold on. Look at that. Oh, let's go. Scroll down past. The, OK, the eight hundred billion dollar estimate in California includes a $246 $246 billion to compensate eligible black Californians whose neighborhoods were subjected to aggressive uh, policing and prosecution in the war on drugs from 1970 to the year 2020, from 1970 to 2020. That would translate to nearly $125,000 each for every person who qualifies, the consultants wrote, okay? The the $800 billion estimate in California includes $246 billion to compensate eligible black Californians whose neighborhoods were subjected to aggressive policing and prosecution in the war on drugs from 1970 to 2020. Now the numbers are are an approximation based on modeling and population estimates. Now the economists also included $569 billion to make up for the discriminatory practice of redlining in housing loans. That would amount to about 220, uh, about 223,000 per eligible resident from 1933 to 1977, the $569 billion is considered a maximum, and it assumes that all 2.5 million Californians who identify as black would be eligible, but it's not going to apply to all 2.5 million because the California Reparations Task Force last year voted and decided that reparations would be distributed based upon lineage not race so you would have to prove that you were a descendant of a of an enslaved person uh who was in the US uh, uh, who was in the US prior to 1900 or of a free african american person who was in the US prior to 1900 okay which would exclude uh immigrants uh coming here prior to 1900 Okay, but it goes on to say, but that won't, but but they, but they won't all be, they won't all qualify. People must meet residency and other requirements for monetary compensation. They also must be descendants of enslaved and free Black people in the U.S. as of the 19th century, uh, which lead, which leads out Black immigrants. The task force on Wednesday, uh, March 29th, also endorsed methodologies for devaluation of black businesses and unjust property takings. Those methodologies have no numbers due to a lack of data. All right. So read the rest of this, uh, this specific compensation amounts, uh, okay. So they have to deliver their last report, uh, uh, July by July 1st, 2023, which lays out the recommendations that's going to, come from the California reparations task force. Now, the reason why they had to do it based upon lineage is because in California, race-based policies are illegal at the state level. There's a, there's a state law in California that bans race-based policies. Just like in, in, the federal at the federal level, race-based policies are illegal. And that's based upon Title VI of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, non-discrimination and federally assisted programs. Okay. So they had to, they, they're they're doing this to they're doing it based upon lineage, uh so that whatever law they pass, whatever restitution they give, uh it won't be overturned in court when this gets challenged in court, because it will be challenged in court. They put up this article here. Let's see, California Reparations Task Force calls for comprehensive reparations. This is June first, twenty twenty two. And there was also another one uh where's the other one well uh, let's look at this one here you can look at this article here california calls for comprehensive reparations for black americans the interim report of the California Reparations Task Force comes as task members remain split on what reparations should look like. This is from June 1st, 2022. And uh, in a 500-page report released Wednesday, a legislatively mandated task force argues that the present-day wealth gap, present-day wealth gap between Black and white Americans in California and the rest of the country is the direct result of slavery, Jim Crow laws, redlining, and other government policies that locked Black Americans into failing schools and and over police communities. Okay, the task force called its interim report uh, the most extensive document on government discrimination against the Black community since the landmark 1968 Kerner Commission report. Uh, It called for the creation of a government office to address past harms and potential future harms and help eligible black Californians through a reparations program. But it does not put a price tag on its recommendation. This was June of 2022. Okay, that is expected to be detailed later in a second report. Um, Let me see something here. Okay, read the the rest of this because I'm running out of time. Yeah, the report also cites the extensive history of sundown towns, in California communities that prohibited black Americans from living within their boundaries. Well, you can not only can you, could you not live in a sundown town? You can be there after dark. Okay. You may work there in the daytime, but uh, when it starts getting dark, it's time for you to go. Otherwise you could be stopped, arrested, beaten or killed. The report says many suburban communities outside of Los Angeles and San Francisco and most orange County cities were once quote unquote sundown towns. It also documents the history of urban renewal and highway projects that dismantled once thriving black neighborhoods like San Francisco's Fillmore District, effectively destroying generations of wealth accumulation. So that black conservative that's against reparations, he doesn't talk about the the harm that the expressway system did all across the country to the African-American community. They, They usually won't talk about things like that. All right, now if we uh, just look here at the California, uh, if we look at the executive summary here, it's a 28-page executive summary. And they lay out uh, 12 harms. They identify 12 harms. They show the national laws and policies that inflicted these harms. And then they deals specifically with California. Okay. Um, And let's look at this here. Despite California entering the Union in 1850 as a free state, its early state government supported slavery. Pro-slavery white Southerners held a great deal of power in the Southern in, in the state legislature, the court system, and among California's representatives in U S Congress. In 1852, California passed and enforced a fugitive slave law that was harsher than the than the federal fugitive slave law of 1850, and this made California a pro a more pro slavery state than most other free states. California also outlawed uh, non white people from testifying in court case in any court case involving white people. California did not ratify the Fourteenth Amendment until 1959 which protected the equal rights of all citizens, and the 15th Amendment, which prohibited states from denying a person's right to vote on the basis of race until 1962. Okay, so uh, some of the harms that they lay out, uh, you have uh, political disenfranchisement. So they lay out the racial terror, political disenfranchisement, housing segregation, separate and unequal an education, racism in environmental, racism in environment and uh, infrastructure, pathology, uh, uh, patholog- uh, uh, pathologizing the black family, pathologizing the black family, uh, control over creative, cultural and intellectual life. stolen and hindered opportunity, unjust, um, an unjust legal system, mental and physical harm and neglect, and the wealth gap, okay? These are just uh, some of the harms that they lay out here. And they go through and talk about what happened nationally and then specifically what happened in California. And they deal with these laws and policies. Okay, so check this out. Uh, You can go to, let's see here. If you go to, this is um, the office of the Attorney General Rob Bonta of California. You go to this website here uh which is oag.ca.gov office of attorney general oag.ca.gov so rob bonta attorney general reparations reports okay this is um task force to study and develop reparation proposals let's see let's click right here but if you if you go look at this here reparations reports you scroll down it lists the full interim report which is 500 pages the executive summary key findings and preliminary recommendations so you can go read this so we should be forming study groups in our communities to organize our people to really study reparations study history and law and this will help us push for this at local levels but also at the federal level because I know HR 40 wants a study on reparations you can use this 500 page study as the foundation and as I said to uh, on Faraji Muhammad's show um, we really sh- should take the term reparations off of what it is that we're fighting for and focus on present-day structural inequities Identify present-day structural inequities, deal with the laws and policies put in place that created these structural inequities, trace trace those laws and policies back in history. You can trace that back to Jim Crow era reconstruction, trace that back to slavery and deal with putting in place laws and policies that correct the structural inequities that are the result of laws and policies. You have to shift the the focus away from just talking about slavery, slavery, slavery. The reason why is, is because when you just keep talking about slavery, what that does is that makes you a very easy target for opposition. One, two, chattel slavery ended about 158 years ago. All the last of the former slaves died in the 1950s. And you bring up greater opposition when you just keep talking about slavery, slavery, slavery. Deal with present day structural inequities, the laws and policies put in place that created them. And then you also have to market and explain how correcting those structural inequities benefit not just African Americans, but America in general. Because most of the people that got to vote on these policies, generally speaking, are white. Most of the people are from the majority population. White people make up 57% of the US population. Okay? So the whole way a lot of this is marketed and the benefits of this are not marketed correctly. You can't just talk about how this is going to help African Americans. When one, most of the people who have to vote on these policies are white. One, two, they have to go justify this to their constituents back home. Two, three, It's not just African American dollars, taxpayer dollars that are going to pay for these policies. It's largely going to be taxpayer dollars coming from non-white people, from from non-African-American people that pay for these policies. So you got to understand how to market this. Lastly, if we look at this article here that I reference a lot, because this is a a good example of what I'm talking about. This is from, um, this is from CBS News, CBS News, okay. And stand by, let's see. Okay, this is from CBS News. Uh, This deals with how the U.S. economy has lost $16 trillion uh, over the last, over a 20-year period of time. and it's due to racism. Okay, so this is why we have to do the research and understand what it is that we're talking about. Okay, the root concept of reparations deals with the repair, the damage of something. You have to analyze the history of what happened and the damage that was done to understand The laws and policies that have to be put in place to repair the damage. Okay, just cutting a check does not address correcting those laws and policies. Those laws and policies will still be in place inflicting harm after you spend the money. Okay, Racism has cost the U.S. $16 trillion Citigroup fines September 23rd, 2020, okay, from cbsnews.com. And I can close all these damn ass keep popping up uh America could have been sixteen trillion dollars richer if not for inequities in education, housing, wages, and business investment between black and white Americans over the past uh twenty years. New research concludes the study released this week by Citigroup is the latest in a body of research that attempts to quantify the economic impact of systemic racism. These are things that we have to talk about, quantifying the economic impact of systemic racism and showing that evidence. Citigroup arrived at a $16 trillion figure after estimating that one, black workers have lost $113 billion in potential wages over the past two decades because they could not get a college degree okay so that reduces the spending potential of african-americans whether it's buying homes buying cars things like this that helps the GDP grow helps the gross domestic product of the US grow the housing market lost 218 billion dollars in sales because black applicants could not get home loans, because black applicants could not get home loans. About $13 trillion in business revenue never flowed into the economy because black entrepreneurs could not access bank loans. What's more, the US could have $5 trillion in gross domestic product over. The next five years, if those gaps and others will close today, the study indicated. So the U.S. economy could grow by five trillion dollars over the next five years by changing those laws and policies, by correcting them. That helps everybody in the country. That's not just African-Americans. That helps everybody. All right. So check out this article. Racism has cost the U.S. Uh, 16 trillion Citigroup fines. All right, okay. If you would like this type of information, you can support the African History Network. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal. PayPal.me forward slash the AHN show. And uh, you can uh, register for the online classes that I teach because uh, I'm teaching them uh, Saturday, April first. I'm here teaching now. I'm about to jump out of here, and uh, I teach this online class. Saturday, April 1st, uh, April 8th, uh, April 8th, 15th, and 22nd. Okay, so visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. We have the information there, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. Uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa understand the transatlantic slave trade. where they didn't teach you in school. We do a thousand of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place also. And then Sundays I teach from the civil war to the civil rights movement, uh, uh black, black resistance movements from the civil war, civil rights movement, black power movement, um, and Haitian revolution, 1800 to 1968. All right, look, we have to get out of here. Remember, the African History Network, we focus on educating and empowering and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win Wakanda we'll forever. We'll talk to you next time. Peace.